Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Here we are, and we're going to keep walking with Jesus. We've been walking with Jesus since uh, late July, actually, just kind of in the book of Luke, one step at a time, seeing where uh, we're going next. And so today we're just going to pick up the story right where we have left off, and we're going to put the scripture up for you so you can read along with us, and it is in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22, and the scripture says this. It says, he, uh, Jesus, continued this subject with his disciples. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your inner life than the food you put into your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God. And you count far more. Has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them have uh, most of them never even seen. Don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here, Jesus says, is to get you to relax. Not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things, but you both, you know God and how he works. So steep yourself in God reality, in God initiative, in God provision. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. So don't be afraid of missing out because you are my dearest friends and the Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. So Jesus finishes by saying this. He says, be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt, a bank in heaven far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you will most want to be, and ultimately, the place you'll end up being. So, Jesus is uh, referencing his followers. He's talking to his students, and he begins to talk about this this whole concept of uh, fussing. I don't know that I've ever heard it called fussing before. So let's do a little side conversation about versions of Scripture. I get asked a lot of times, what version of Scripture should I use? There's all these different, there's the ESV and the NIV and the NLT and KJV. Which one do you use? And I say, "Uh uh-huh, all of them. So when when I'm getting ready to prepare a message, when I'm studying Scripture, I want to go through as many of them as possible because I want to get as many different angles and viewpoints because they're all the different translations. They have different purposes. Some are really strict literalist translations, some are more uh, paraphrased and artful, and the concept here is that um, neither one fully satisfies what we need. There are some people in a camp that would say you have to use the most literal, otherwise you're, well, unless we're all going to learn Hebrew and Greek, we can't quite do that because that's the only real literal one. So then the most literal English one is great, except that there's this phrase in Italian that I sometimes say around our house, o una fame da lupo, which means I have the hunger of a wolf, or as we might say here, um, I'm hungry enough to eat a horse. So if Jesus, imagine Jesus has said, I was hungry enough to eat a horse, and we all only took it literally, we would all be eating horse all the time, going, this must be what the Savior wants us to do. 
And so sometimes idioms are hard to translate. Sometimes the meaning and the heart behind something is hard to grasp. And so we use all these different translations in order to kind of get a sense for the new packaging that the scripture can be delivered in. Uh, While you were counting electoral votes this week, I read this article in the Journal of Economic Psychology, because I'm really cool and you now think better of me. So the Journal of Economic Psychology, there was this whole article about the, the impact of packaging on consumer attention. So like when there's a new package on the shelf at the grocery store, what causes somebody to pay the most attention to it? So they did all these tests, and one of the products they used was coffee. So when you go buy coffee at the grocery store, it's in that kind of rectangular squishy bag thing. And what they found was if you get too far from a rectangular squishy bag, people will ignore it because it's too different, it's too weird, it's not familiar, I'm not buying that. And so you have to get close enough to the familiar, but yet stray a little bit to get new attention and new eyeballs. This uh, maybe makes more sense when you think of soda. Pop, pop comes in cylindrical cans. I uh, was in college when Red Bull came to America. I remember these people showed up with backpacks and they were handing out, they're like, like, I don't know, they had like weapons on their backs, but they were they're just dispensing tiny little eight ounce cans of this thing that tasted a little bit like um, what I imagine urine might taste like. And so, but it's 1997 and they're just handing out these cans of this stuff and nobody doubted what it was because it was a little cylindrical can with a little pull top on it. Everybody knew what it was. Now, I'd never seen a can that small and I'd never heard of this product and it was different than anything else I'd ever seen, but something about it was slightly familiar. It helped me to understand it in a whole new way. This is the same thing with scripture. So when you find yourself reading different scripture versions, what you're doing is introducing new packaging and understanding the product in a new way. You're understanding it in a different angle. And I tell you that because it's super easy to do. One, you don't have to go buy 100 Bibles. You have apps and the internet and you can get all the translations at once. And then the second reason is today we're using the message and some people um, turn their nose at the message and that's okay. The message uses uh, the word fuss instead of worry. So a lot of Bibles will say, don't worry. The, the flowers of the field, they don't worry, and yet look at them. The, and what we want to do is not think so much about worrying today as fussing. Worry in our culture has become kind of connected to this um, hyper-concerned fretting, almost a sense of dread. If we're worrying, if we're really in a, oh, I'm really worrying about that, there's a sense of dread in us. And, and fussing, fussing sounds a little bit more like this busy distractedness, this um, the sense of someone fussing about a kitchen as they're late preparing dinner or, or rifling through all the clothes in their closet. No one has ever said this, but imagine you're fussing through your closet and you say, there's just nothing here to wear. That's the sense of fussing that we want to aim for today. Here's why this matters. Jesus is talking to first century Jews. First century Jews in the middle of a Roman occupation, they are heavily taxed. And now as they follow Jesus, they've left their jobs behind for a season so they can follow him. So what we have here is people who probably don't have a lot of money. They're probably not carrying around big sacks of cash. And they might actually be able to worry about where their next meal comes from. So when he says, don't worry about where your next meal comes from, it's because they might actually have dread that they might not eat today. We cannot do the same. We are 21st century Americans. We are wealthy by any comparison. They are praying for rain so that the crops come in and no one starves while we are crushing pumpkin spice lattes and eating something called the son of the Baconator. The son of Baconator, our burgers have gotten so advanced, they are procreating and creating new burgers. This is a thing. So look, we don't worry about food, but we sure do fuss over it, don't we? We don't worry about clothing, but we sure do fuss over them. So the scripture is asking, what is all this fussing 
about stuff get us? And Jesus said there, what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Don't be so busy fussing over the little stuff that you miss the big thing happening in front of you. My wife and I took uh, extra walks this year in Winter Garden, all through kind of that leaf-changing season. We made an intentional pact with each other that we were not going to let the fall come without um, literally going through there every day to see what had changed. Because usually, we get excited, the fall is coming, we love to take these walks in the woods, and life is busy, and we have our eyes on the next thing, and then there's Thanksgiving, and we're planning for Christmas, and, and by the time you look up, um, there are no leaves on the trees, and, and you go, well, I bet it was pretty. So this year, we said, we don't want to miss the changes. We're not going to get so busy. We're not going to get so busy fussing with the day that we're not going to appreciate what God is doing in our midst. So we spent a ton of time walking, and we went slowly. I didn't fuss with my heart rate, which I usually want to get my heart rate up, or I usually want to get a certain number of miles. And I said, I'm not fussing with those this year. We're just going to appreciate what's in front of us. And so instead of getting my heart rate up, instead of getting a certain number of miles in, I was able to appreciate what God had given in some profound moments in the canopy. See, when you're so preoccupied and busy fussing with getting, with getting the next thing, with looking at the next day, with looking ahead, that 14-day forecast, you can't appreciate what the blessing is that's right in front of you. We never really respond to God's giving if our minds are preset on the next level of getting. We can't respond in time to present God's giving if we're so busy thinking about the next thing we might be getting. What do you mean by that? What does this mean? What does respond? What does that have to do with anything? Let me use a simple illustration. I cook in my house. I cook dinner most nights of the week. And I will call my children down. Usually I will say, Alexa, call the children down for dinner. And it all, the magic of the internet works and things. And then people rush in and there's food on the table. And once or twice, I have great kids, but once or twice the food will be sitting in front of them. This food I just spent 30 minutes, an hour preparing. And they'll sit down and as they wait to pray, they'll say, Dad. And I get ready for their effusive praise and gratitude of my hard work to provide for them. And they'll say, Dad. What's for dessert? And it's like a balloon gets pops. You know, you just kind of deflate and go, um, can we get through dinner first? Can, you, can we appreciate? We haven't even prayed for dinner, and we're already talking about the next thing. We already want dessert. Like, can we go to Sunday station? I'm like, how about never again? Um, because they're so interested in the next thing they're going to be getting that they can't even appreciate the thing that they've been given right in front of them. And this is, you know, mildly offensive. Like, I don't hold it against them. I understand. Dessert is much more interesting than you know, chicken and peas or whatever is on the table. But I'm saddened more for them that they're missing out on the present because they're falling into this trap that Jesus warns us against, this trap of always looking for the next thing. So when we focus on what's coming instead of what is, when we focus on what we want next instead of what we have in front of us today, we miss really three important gifts. And I'm going to put them up for you so you can see them. And we're going to just briefly touch on each of them. But there's three important gifts that God gives you when you are able to be present in response to his giving of the moment. First one is the gift of humility. Humility is this recognition of God's provision in your life. It reminds us who runs the universe. Humility is simply recognizing that we don't run the universe, that God does. He's provided all the things in a culture that prizes control above all else. It is a gift to remember that he is good and he is faithful, and he's ultimately in control. And so that humbles us. It puts us into a smaller mind frame. It allows us to live as 
created things, not creator. Second thing it gives us is the gift of reliance, and this is not something that we often look for. We're a self-reliant people, but this is an appreciation of his provision. It reminds us where our help comes from. So in our culture that prizes self-reliance, it's a gift to remember that he ultimately is all that we can count on. And that drives us back to humility again. The third thing is intimacy. Closeness that comes when we just relax and enjoy what the Father has put in front of us. Discuss the recipe, savor the flavor, consider the intricacy and the delicacy, and most important, truly be with him. So many people say, I feel far from God, and it's when's the last time you spent time with him, and they go, well, I came to church a lot. No, no. When did you sit on the Father's lap? When did you just talk about your day? When did you unpack something? When did you savor something with creator of the universe, and they go, well, how do you, how do, you do that? This is why mealtime in our, in our culture is so sacred. Mealtime in our culture is really sacred. It's why so many important things happen over meals. It's why we do business deals and why we do anniversaries. It's why meals are so sacred to us is because it's the only time that we slow down long enough to connect and look in the eyes of another person. E- even eating at home, people come and go, they, they kind of dart in and dart out, they clean up and go to the next thing. But when you go to a restaurant, you're kind of prisoner to their timing, aren't you? And they come back and they say, I'll be right back to get your order. And they don't come back for five minutes. You're forced to just sit and stare at another human. Often the first thing you think to do is two minutes in, you're out of stuff to talk about. You go, when do you think he's coming back? I got my order. You know, and you start getting like you're almost impatient waiting for them to come back. And this is the gift, right? I need to get my order in. No, no, God has given you four more minutes. When we move away from getting and focus back on God's giving, we gain humility and renewed reliance and deep intimacy. Here's the rub. This is us being honest. Some of us would rather have the new stuff than the intimacy with God. Like when we say, don't fuss over what you're wearing, don't fuss over your clothes, don't fuss over your possessions. Some of us would rather actually have that than have God. Like in our honest hearts, if I said there's a brand new car waiting in your driveway or you can have 20% more intimacy with God this year, a lot of people would go, well, it's kind of time for an upgrade. God's going to be there next year, so can I just... This ebbs and flows in our lives. There are seasons of this. Some nights my kids feel close enough to me and they just want to know if ice cream is coming. That doesn't make them bad kids any more than it makes us bad for thinking about our clothing or thinking about the food or thinking about our possessions. Doesn't make you a bad person if you spend time fussing over stuff. But it's a warning and an indicator for each of us of who you are and where you're headed. Ultimately, what this is is a warning and indicator of who you are and where you're headed. Because over time, your attention determines your direction. Your attention determines your direction. If you are driving, where you are Focusing is where you will go. You ever had a kid on a bike that looks over their shoulder and the wheel goes with them and they run into a tree? Your attention determines your direction. Where you are walking, where you are looking, that's where you end up going. And the value of your attention has never been greater. We have a thing, literally, there's a thing called the attention economy, where your attention is the most valuable thing on earth right now. You want a Netflix uh, recommendation? Go watch The Social Dilemma and see what your attention is worth to others. My point in saying that is there's a lot of uh, people, a lot of companies, a lot of organizations, your social media, Google, all these things, they're all incentivized to grab your attention away from greater things, away from God. 
MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, whoever it is, they're incentivized to take your attention away from God because when you watch their station, they get more money in advertising. Facebook, they're incentivized to have you scrolling, Snapchatting, TikToking, whatever new things are out there that I don't know about. These, they're, they're incentivized to hold you longer because the longer you watch, the more the ads are worth. And everywhere we look, there are things competing for our attention and ultimately, your attention determines your direction. So if you spend a ton of time on politics this season, there's nothing wrong with politics. But if you spent more than it's probably healthy, you probably ended up in an unhealthy place and over-politicized, and now it's post-election, and we sit back and we go, how much control did I have over this after all? Like, I think whatever was going to happen, happened anyway, and I just spent a lot of time focused on it. So there's nothing wrong with that. Do your civic duty. If you have eyes for anyone but your spouse, or maybe you have eyes for everyone but your spouse, stealing peaks or clicks or whatever it is, your attention determines your direction. And you will end up somewhere other than with your spouse. That thing that your heart is preoccupied with, you'll get there. Jesus is saying that thing that your heart is preoccupied with, that thing that in, in, the, quiet, in the quiet of the night, in, in your private moment, that thing that your heart is preoccupied with, you'll actually get that thing. The question becomes, it's like the dog who chases cars, the old joke that what's he going to do when he finally catches it? What's he going to do with it? This is the opportunity Jesus gives us to step back and go, what is the thing that I'm preoccupied with? What is the thing that, that grabs my attention? What is that thing that if I'm not careful, I'm actually going to get that? And is that what I really want out of my life? Is that what I'm actually here for? Jesus' point in all of this is that the things we fuss over fade away. He then transitions into this concept that all the things we fuss over in life, status or wealth, or all, the, all the things, they fade. And one day, in your hospital room, at the hospice care, you're not going to worry about that stuff. You're not going to be recounting those things. You're not going to be telling your grandchildren in your final breaths how many Twitter followers you had in 2020. Those aren't things that are important to you. They're actually not important to you. But in the moment when our attention is seized, when our eyes wonder, when the things that we are unaware of that are competing for our attention that rightly belongs to God, in the moment, those things will steal from us. And if we're not careful, we end up somewhere we didn't intend to be. So Jesus says everything but treasure in God ends up in bankruptcy. Everything else ends up in bankruptcy. What does that mean? That means it's just worthless at the end. It's not bad. There's nothing wrong with all the other things. You're going to go watch football today. Go watch football. Don't sit in a pool of sin and shame going, I'm watching football, my attention determines my direction, and I'm going to end up a football player. No, no, like, that's not stupid. <laughs> you just go, football's not a sin. But it doesn't have eternal value either. Politics aren't a sin. They don't have eternal value. TikToks may be simple, but it doesn't have eternal value. It's going to fade. And Jesus says, because God loves you, he's giving you the kingdom. He's giving you keys to the kingdom of heaven to fullness and wholeness like you've never known before. And you're busy on these lesser things. And he's telling us that kingdom life is better. That richness actually doesn't show up when we chase richness. Richness shows up when we stop fussing over stuff and we start finding ways to appreciate and respond to the eternal gifts of God. Richness shows up when we start appreciating and responding to God's gifts right in front of us. To his grace and his hope and his joy, 
and his love, when we recognize them in the moment, when we grasp them in the moment, and then we begin to converse with God in the moment about these things, there's a richness that's developed. He's telling us that sitting in the Father's lap is ultimately better than fussing about whether a dessert is going to be ice cream or cookies. Snuggling into the creator of the universe, like true intimacy with God where you feel known and safe and whole, and if I know anything about anybody, and some of the things we want more than anything is to feel known and safe and whole in this world. When you snuggle into God like that and you begin to feel known and safe and whole with the creator of the universe, it makes all of the fussing over lesser things seem less than satisfying. So the questions today are, where's your heart? Who holds it? What do you really desire? Where is your attention? And what is that treasure that deep down you're really seeking? Because as Jesus said, the place where your treasure is, is the place where you'll most want to be. It's the place you're going to end up being. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for our attention to be stolen back. God, I'm grateful for the reminder and I'm grateful uh, even for different translations of the Bible that, that open us up to different ways to hear your voice and to know your character. And Father, thank you for this whole concept of fussing, of us being busy and distracted. God, I pray that you would steal back our attention, that you would steal back that which makes us yours. God, in you we would find fullness, and in you we would find grace, and in you we would find that hope and that, that meaning that we're searching for. Father, thank you for giving us uh, little, little joys in the world, little joys in meals and sports and, and the little things that make life uh, full around the edges. But Father, I pray that you would keep them on the edges. Help us to remember to keep those things on the edges and keep you in the center that we might know you better. Father, be known better by you feel that knownness, and then that we might take that fullness that we have in you and overflow into a world in desperate need for you. So God, thank you for working on each of our hearts individually. Thank you that you know us already. Father, we open our hands and our hearts to you and say, help us draw back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.